Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. The Tennis Podcast. The Tennis Podcast. Welcome to the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph. We are on the eve of the French Open, the second Grand Slam tournament of 2016. Catherine Whitaker of Eurosport fame is in Paris, awaiting the start of the tournament. Myself, David Law, I am not. I work for BBC Radio 5 Live and BT Sport. Neither one of those I'm working for over the next couple of weeks. I'm just going to be standing in an office of which I can hit all four walls at the same time. It's so small. It has no windows. I can't see the beautiful Philippe Chatrier court from where I'm sitting unless I turn my TV on. I've never been to the French Open, but Catherine Whitaker is going to tell me all about how wonderful it is. We're going to be talking about uh, the French Open generally, what it is like to be there, because Catherine is there. She knows. We're going to be talking about the draws, going through them in detail, having a look at the, uh, the brackets, as the Americans call them, and trying to work out who we think is going to end up where. We'll have predictions competitions that will be on Twitter over the next couple of days for the tournament in general and daily ones as well as we work our way through the next couple of weeks. And Catherine Whitaker, we're going to be hearing from the man who helped to mastermind the downfall of Novak Djokovic last year. That's Magnus Norman, who's coached to Stan Wawrinka, of course. Spoke to him earlier in the year about how you beat Novak Djokovic, because he knows. We are sponsored, Catherine Whitaker, for our French Open preview by Racket Magazine, which is a new quarterly print magazine, print only. Who'd have thought you'd still get print-only magazines? Well, this is one. It is a tennis one. It is one that you will not want to miss if you love tennis. And we're going to have a chat about that in the next uh, half an hour or so as well. Catherine Whitaker, what is it like? Come on, tell me. Let me know what Paris is like, given that I don't get to go. Gosh, you're asking me to sum up the whole of Paris. Well, it's just so wonderfully Parisian, if that's not a completely facile comment to make. I mean, everything conforms to all the wonderful stereotypes of Paris. You know, I saw I saw a, a slightly elderly gentleman with a big moustache wearing a beret cycling down the road on his bicycle earlier, and it was just the most wonderful sight. I felt like I was looking at a a classic French painting. It, it's, it's a wonderful place. It's not necessarily somewhere that I'd want to live. It's like, it's like a beautiful painting that I like to admire, you know, objectively it's yeah I don't 
necessarily see it as the most livable city. I know lots of people would absolutely love to live in Paris. That's just a personal preference. But it is a wonderful place to be. And I mentioned, Catherine, that, you know, to me, this is one of the great tournaments to have followed. I'll be talking later in the show about how much this tournament has meant to me from afar. I've never actually managed to go to Roland Garros ever before. What is it like? What is Roland Garros like? For those people that, that haven't had the opportunity to go, you're there. What's it like? Uh, well, there's two points here. Generally, I mean, I only actually first came here for the first time two years ago and it really, really differed from my expectations. I actually think it's it doesn't come across brilliantly on the TV. I think atmosphere-wise it comes across across very well but visually you know from a purely aesthetic point of view it doesn't come across brilliantly the 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 stadia are very concrete i think it comes across as very harsh concrete gray um just not aesthetically pleasing and actually yes that is the case the stadia are, are not things of beauty but the site in general they've almost overcompensated for that with the rest of the site and the public areas there's lots of greenery and flora and all of the restaurants are really nicely done with nice canopies and it's all just really really pleasant and as soon as you know yes the philip chatrier court from the exterior it is not a thing of beauty but once you get inside it it is it becomes a thing of beauty it does create incredible atmosphere i should point out that there there are some things that are significantly different this year a large portion of the site and it is not a huge site compared to the other grand slams it's on a far uh, smaller area of land uh, a portion quite a big portion of the site is suddenly just a hole in the ground where they're building a new stadium presumably one that is sort of amphitheater like dug into the ground it seems to be quite trendy with um tennis stadium at the moment and unfortunately that cavity in the ground is where my favorite lunch vendor used to be so my delightful quiches that I used to get for lunch every day are no more and I've I I don't know whether the quiche vendor has relocated I appeal for news about the quiche vendor because it's a real it's a real detriment to my time at Roland Garros if I can't get my daily quiche right Okay, well, I, I, when I asked that question, I really didn't expect the word quiche to come into the conversation. Uh, now, you, you're banging on about how great the food is there, Catherine. The only thing is, though, do you have to remortgage your house and sell your car in order to get this quiche? Actually, no. I mean, obviously, it's been a year since I've had the blooming quiche because I couldn't track any down today, so I can't remember vividly. No, I think it's actually a reason. I mean, I have positive memories of this quiche in every respect as you can as you can tell is dominating my thoughts at the moment but it is it is one of the things it is one of the many sort of little things that all add up that this grand slam has going for it the fact that there's not only you know burger chips and hot dogs available in the public areas now look i love all of those three things dearly <laughs> very dearly but they lose their joy if you're having to have them for every or most meal. Whereas here, here this Grand Slam, you can have burger chips and hot dog. I mean, they won't give you vinegar on your chips. But, I mean, they don't even, they look at you quizzically if you even ask for vinegar on your chips. I've learned not to. But anyway. Anybody outside of the UK looks at people quizzically if they have vinegar on chips. Anyway, come on. <laughs> 
I know. They just don't understand. We're the enlightened ones. They're not. Anyway, uh, it's great not to have to have a burger and or chips sometimes. And Ronan Garris is great for that. You know, the salad bars and quiches and it's got it's all coming back to the quiche, isn't it? I can't stop thinking about this quiche absence in my life. Well, I love the old burgers and chips, so uh, every meal's fine by me. Uh, Ronan Garros is a, is a place that I, I, I would love to go on one level because I've sort of got this romantic view of it because uh, I, I think part of that is is built up. I mean, it's all TV-based for me but and, and, and listening on the radio. And, and, and the reason for both of those things is partly because of the acoustics of the place. It's just... It's always seemed to me on that Philip Chatrier court that if somebody really hits the ball out of the centre of the strings of the racket and hits it cleanly and hard, it sounds as though it's being hit even harder than it actually is. There's like a thunderclap. There's this reverb that goes around the stadium like an echo. And it gives you a shudder when somebody really catches the ball well. Is that how it feels when you're in there? Yes, it is. It's something It's something that you can't put, quite put your finger on, although you have just put your finger on it. Um, it is a bit special. And it makes me wonder whether it's something that... I'd be amazed if it's something that the architects intended when they design it. Maybe it is. Maybe I underestimate uh, the work of the architects. I just don't know. Maybe it's just a wonderfully happy accident. But yes, there is something special about the sound of the ball being struck, particularly you know when it's being struck by Nadal for example when you also get the echo of his grunt as he hits you know the it, it the strain and the effort and it just all is amplified somehow and it does create a quite special atmosphere yeah uh, i'm sure the other reason that the french open is so special to me i think is because you know how when you're growing up you can have an album or 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 a song or something that you feel as though is your soundtrack to your life growing up does that make any sense? It does. Yeah, I, I, I won't. I won't name any albums because none of them will reflect well on me. But yes, in principle, I understand. Well, my album was the French Open, and and the reason I say that is because if I go all the way back to 1990, when I was just 16, and I was failing my first set of exams, which would have been my GCSEs, and I would, the reason, one of the reasons for that is because I was watching tennis all day in May of 1990, and I was watching Andre Agassi go to the final, it's the first time I'd ever seen the guy play tennis on the TV live, I'd seen little clips of him, but we didn't get live coverage of him, he'd never played Wimbledon at that point, of course, uh, I'm trying to remember, what was the first year that Andre Agassi played Wimbledon, it would have been the year after, 1991, when he he, he appeared in his all-white outfit, uh, like they have now, of course, back then you could wear a little bit of colour, but at the French Open in 1990, he came out in a, in that purple outfit, with the bleach blonde hair you know which we now have discovered thanks to his autobiography was was a wig and he was beaten in the final by Andres Gomez who was well into his 30s an amazing story and Catherine Whittaker I promptly went out and bought the closest thing I could find to the Andre Agassi outfit to wear did you buy the wig I suppose at the time you didn't know it was a wig no I didn't buy the wig uh, I tell you, uh, a, a six foot seven inch, very very white human being like myself with freckles, wearing the Andre Agassi outfit doesn't really work. I have to say. Anyway, the next year he he went to the final and played uh, Jim Courier. Courier beat him in the final there, and then in '92, 
Uh, I was just, I mean, crikey, I was just watching all the time. Uh, it was uh, when I failed my A-levels, after having failed my GCSEs before then, two years earlier, and it was uh, Courier again beating uh, Peter Corder in the final. Crikey, I can name every single year of that French Open run of about six years where uh, I did as little work as I possibly could and, and watched tennis all day in the afternoons. So Andres Gomez and uh, Jim Courier's success was your, was your great failure. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, basically, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was. It was, I mean, I, I have a certain, <laughs> without bragging, I, I mean, I have a certain degree of sympathy w- without having actually <laughs> failed my exams. It was great that study leave always used to fall during the French Open. All of my study leave memories are of, uh, well, I just did all of my revision in front of French Open coverage. And as women are famously better multitaskers than men, which I realise is a sweeping generalisation, but as somebody who has tried to hold down a conversation with you, David, whilst you're also trying to uh, type a message on your phone, I can (laughs) vouch for your slightly underpowered multitasking skills. Perhaps that's where I succeeded and you failed. Sorry, I'm just writing a message at the moment. Um, (laughs) Now, what were we talking about? Oh, yes, tennis. It's because you're dedicated to the task at hand, David. That's what it is. That's how you should have defended yourself. That's right. No, it's because I'm trying to spin those plates. Even if I can't keep them all in the air and they go crash into the ground, into smithereens. Anyway, I mentioned Catherine. I mean, that was my... That was the birth of my love for tennis, really. It was was that, that era. It's what made me want to work in tennis. And... And I would say that as as a result of that, it wasn't just a misspent youth when I was failing all of those exams, Catherine Whittaker. That was work in progress, wasn't it? You know, you, you've got to get behind me here. You may have been five years old at the time, but get behind me. Yeah, you're a really bad example to any youth that might be listening. Failure exams, kids, in order to watch tennis on the telly. And one day you too could be a BBC broadcaster. Yeah, that's right. Now, uh, on the subject of uh, of love in tennis, we mentioned that this uh, preview edition of the tennis podcast of the French Open is sponsored by Racket Magazine, which is a new quarterly print publication that, in their words, does justice to the game we love from tennis's buccaneering past to its modern global culture. And actually, when you when you look at the Kickstarter page that Racket Magazine has, which is trying to help fund this uh, print edition of a magazine, it is pretty inspiring to think about that because, I mean, my early formative years were of reading tennis magazines every month and that you know there are so few of them around now and it really is a breath air breath of fresh air that uh, caitlin thompson and her uh, fellow collaborators are getting together to produce a proper tennis magazine every quarter of the year and i tell you i'm i'm really looking forward to seeing that aren't you yeah i am i like the idea of it being quarterly i like the idea of having a coffee table tennis book I like that that you, you you know it doesn't necessarily land on your land on your doormat and feel oh my gosh I have to read it instantly to know to, in order to find out about what's going on in the tennis world like it was with my brother's subscription subscription to Serve and Volley magazine in the early nineties you know I like the idea of a of a coffee table tennis magazine that I can browse and you know get lost in every now and then I I think it's a really good idea I think there is a place 
for a purely print publication, even in a digital age, it's just finding the right medium for it. And I think this sounds quite exciting, really. It does. So if you want to find out about it, Racket Magazines, go and look on uh, Google. You'll find it quickly enough. Uh, They're on Twitter as well. And as I mentioned, they've got a Kickstarter going that they're trying to raise enough money to to put the print run of this magazine together. And hopefully it'll be hitting your doormat very soon because they do ship globally. Now, Catherine Whitaker, the draw for the French Open has been done earlier today. And uh, boy, it is exciting, isn't it? We had a uh, student Matt live tweeting it at Tennis Podcast. I tell you, that guy can type. He wasn't multitasking. He was just doing the job in hand. I mean, it's a good job you didn't get me doing that. I'd have had about four other conversations on the go at the same time. But he was whacking all the uh, the the various uh, permutations of the draw out on Twitter, and it has on the men's side. The most significant bit, of course, Roger Federer, we, we found out yesterday, isn't going to play. That extraordinary run of 65 Grand Slam tournaments in a row has come to the end, uh, which gave birth to the, the hashtag, which I have to say we uh, developed on uh, at Tennis Podcast Twitter, which was when Federer uh, last missed a slam, what was happening, 1999. And, uh, of course, so he's gone. And so that leaves the four seeds and... Nadal in those top four seeds, but he's been drawn into the same half as Djokovic. Well, that was what everyone was waiting with bated breath to see, wasn't it? Which where Nadal would be drawn, I think. Uh, he was the, you know, even as the number four seed, he was the floater, if you like. He was the one that everybody was hoping to avoid. Um, he was certainly, I would imagine the one that Andy Murray was hoping to avoid. The only man in the draw, of course, guaranteed not to meet Novak Djokovic until the final. Some people are looking at Murray's draw differently. I think it's a great draw, personally. I know there's the potential to meet Nishikori and then Vavrinka, and I know Kyrgios is lurking in there as well. But for me, it's crucial that he's not in Nadal's half, I think, even though for me, and lots of people see it differently, I would have Murray as the favourite going into a match with Nadal, even at the French Open. I think what Murray wouldn't want, even if he would come through that match, it would almost certainly be a long marathon, and you don't want to go into any final, let alone a probable one with Novak Djokovic, having just played a four- or five-set marathon with Rafael Nadal. So for Murray, I see it as very, very very positive. For for. Honestly, for Djokovic, I think the the draw is least relevant. I I think if that meeting with Nadal does happen, I think Djokovic will be a heavy, heavy favourite. I almost see it as, well, not almost, I do see it as more significant for Murray than for Djokovic, that draw. That's very interesting. Very interesting. I, I, I'm not completely sure that I, I... I'm not sure I agree with you that Murray's the favourite against Nadal on clay at the French Open. No, I know. I, I know that's not necessarily consensus. Consensus. I feel that way. I know lots feel differently. I, I think it is dividing opinion a bit. For me, Murray is the second favourite for this title. I, I, I do feel strongly about that, but I also accept that that's, it's not consensus feeling by any means. I actually, I think that that is what the ultimately the the bookies have just about marginally made Murray the second favorite. I think after the draw, because Nadal, if we just take him first, he has been put in a really tough section because he's potentially looking at Fabio Fanini in the third round, a man who's beaten him at slams before. Uh, Dominic Team 
maybe in the uh, in yeah, the last 16. Well, just quickly on that subject, I know someone tweeted us about it today and I completely agree. What is he doing playing this week? I mean, that's what he's too high ranked. To be. I mean, yes, I know Vavrink has played this week, but he's had a shocker of a clay court season. He desperately needed to get some wins and it's his home tournament in Geneva. I think that's a slightly different kettle of fish. Dominic Team is going to come into the French Open again firing on fewer cylinders than he needs to. I would love to be talking about Dominic Team as as a potential outsider for this French Open and I'm I'm not thinking that way and it's scheduling again and he needs to sort it out because I want to be talking about him in that way. Yeah, I I, I know what you mean there, uh, but I have to say I think if I mean I, I reckon he's probably going to end up against uh, Alexander Zverev in the third round Dominic Team because I think Kevin Anderson who's in Zverev's section, Anderson is the seeded player there. I don't see him getting through. He's been injured badly. Clay isn't his best service. So I think Team Zverev is going to be a fascinating third round match, most likely. And whoever comes through that. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel, and Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live, and you can watch on your phone or your smart TV, both in HD. Matt, this sounds like your kind of thing. Yeah, there's nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere, dipping in to where there's the latest final set tiebreak or even the latest bit of aggro. And David, don't worry, you can just watch your favourite court, Suzanne Longlen, all day if you want. But whatever you choose, the French Open promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Do you know, I think in a lot of ways, the French Open is now my favourite slam. It's the strategy of the clay court tennis, the way it challenges players, and particularly now with Legends of the Game up against a new generation of young players. I cannot wait. Be there when it happens with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Subscribe to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. I think really could give Nadal... A run for his money. I, I see Nadal taking out uh, Fanini, and just having seen Team, I think it, it was against, uh, I think Team against Nadal uh, a few weeks ago, and also against Djokovic. Even though I, I share your, your thoughts about the the canister being a little bit empty, uh, relatively speaking, uh, to use Roger Federer's phrase of a few weeks back, I think that we'll see Team perform really well, and. Most likely Nadal will take him out just about. 
I think you're probably right, but I still don't think we'll be seeing the full potential of, of Dominic Team, and I, and I feel like I'm banging on about it too much, but I'm finding it very frustrating because as much as he's coming on, that just makes it all the more frustrating. The more he reveals his potential, the more we realise how good he could be if he just sorts out what I see as a, a, a very resolvable and very obvious issue. You know, he's he has the schedule of a top 30 top 40 player but he's actually homing in on the top 10 now and and I, I think he needs to sort it out a bit I think I think he probably will get there I agree and I think he'll play well but I think he'll not quite have enough and he'll run out of steam and uh, I think that's a shame yeah Share your thoughts there. So, looking at Djokovic's draw, you send Lou in the first uh, round, then Darcy or uh, Ilan from Turkey in the second round. I mean, this is not a bad draw, is it? Del Bonas has been playing very well recently from Argentina. Still can't see him causing Djokovic too many problems in the third round. And then fourth round, most likely, is going to be Bautista or Gut. I mean, that is just about uh, or, as good as you could get. Or Borna Chorich, David. Yeah, well, he is in that section. Uh, I agree, but I, but when they faced each other, I know he's not done much of late, but I do think he's he's worth a mention in that section. Yeah, no, okay, I I, I take that point. Um, actually, wasn't is it, is it the fourth round? No, it's it would be fourth round. Uh, that section that Bautista Gut is seeded at least to to play Djokovic. It's a look, whichever way you slice it up, that is a good section to be in with a quarter final against. Most likely either Ferrer or Burdick. I, I mean, I'm telling you, Djokovic would have signed for that. Oh, crikey, yeah. I mean, that is basically a dream for Djokovic, that that first section. I mean, I know I talked uh, in our last podcast about potentially foreseeing, you know, uh, a um, an early, not an early exit or an early upset, but an early wobble, perhaps, caused by a combination of somebody having the day of their life and, you know, doubts or stress creeping into Novak Djokovic you know a Yuji Vesely type day or a Gilles Simon in Australia and I'm not sure I see anybody in that section of the draw that can do that but then you know no one would ever have picked out Yuji Vesely so um, never say never but I think from that perspective that early portion of the draw is pretty sweet for Djokovic. Yeah, it is. Uh, Looking at the other side of it I mean so uh, let's just wrap up that top section. We reckon that it is going to be that Nadal Djokovic semi, do you think? We do. Yep, I certainly do. I haven't had anybody predicting that not to happen yet. I'm sure there are. I'm sure there are people out there. It takes all sorts, but I, I haven't heard it in any mainstream tennis media. I think that will happen. Um, I think I am perhaps on the more pessimistic Nadal side of things. I I fear that could be quite one sided in fa- in favour of. Djokovic um I'd like to be proven wrong I'd like to see that be um a match Uh, the match it deserves to be on paper um and I think it could be decent I think it I think it would be closer than last year I just I fear it wouldn't be the the guts and gore battle that you want when you see those two play I mean I would have Djokovic as as the heavy favorite going into that I think I will just hold fire, frankly, until we see how Nadal looks throughout the run-up to that match, if they do face each other. I mean, yes, but you don't know. Until you see him play Djokovic, I just don't think you know how he's playing. 
it basically Look, I, I Catherine, think... hold on a minute. Let's let's just say that Nadal finds the Nadal of old at Roland Garros, right? Let's not forget how great this man is. He's won nine of these things. Djokovic hasn't won any. No, he's won nine of them. If he finds that form from within himself, it's going to be at the very least close. Yeah, but at some point he's not going to find that Nadal anymore. I'm not counting him out at all. I think there is a chance that could happen. A, there is definitely a chance that could happen. But this is exactly the same thing as people were saying last year. And, and let's remember what happened last year. It yeah, was but not he wasn't really playing a contest. as well he's, last year as he is now. Yeah, he's playing He's playing better. Djokovic is also playing a bit better, I think. Um, and I don't... I, I, I I think the matchup against Djokovic is is the benchmark, and I I I think as I say, I think he will still come up quite short against Djokovic. That's my feeling. I think he's going to look very impressive in the early rounds. I think he is much improved in those matches. I I, I just think still against that top level benchmark, he is still quite short. Of course, he might find something. Of course he can. It's Roland Garros. It's Nadal. It could happen. I just don't predict it will happen. It's going to be interesting. Very, very interesting. Uh, the other side of the draw, Andy Murray, we've already said, is, is a, he's a pretty heavy favourite to come through that section uh, into, certainly into the quarterfinals, I would have thought. It's not a bad run until then. There's Ivo Karlovic in there for a big server in the third round. There's John Isner maybe in the round after that. Uh, so two, two of the biggest servers in the game. And then most likely it's either Nishikori or Kyrgios. And that is a really tough quarterfinal, isn't it? It is, yes. Again, he'll be the strong favourite going into either matchup, particularly against Kyrgios. I think Nishikori is a danger because that could be long and draining. And uh, even if he were to make it through, it's the sort of match that could damage his chances for the rest of the tournament. I mean, Kyrgios... Even if it goes long, it's 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 rarely draining at the very least. Um, I certainly would look forward to either of those matches with heavy anticipation. I think they're mouth watering. Um, but I but I think uh, I think Murray would take care of either of them. Really, I have a real confidence in Murray on clay. I think he has this confidence in himself on clay. I think. Something has happened. Beating Novak Djokovic just—I mean—it must be nourishment for the for the tennis soul. I think it just gives him a a, a zen-like quality. Um, you know, if you know you can beat Novak Djokovic, then you know and anything else is easy, isn't it? I I would actually agree that he will get through to the semi-finals. I do think he will find his way past whichever one of those two that it is. As well as Kei Nishikori is playing, I think that Murray physically can outlast Nishikori, and I think he would do that. Um, looking at the, uh, the the semi-final opponent that he would be scheduled to meet, according to the seedings, it would be the defending champion, Stan Wawrinka. We just don't know which Wawrinka we're going to end up seeing, really, do we? He has had that run to the final in Geneva. I think, as you said, he really needed that because of what's been going on with his game of late. If they were to face, well, it just depends on what sort of form Vavrinka's in because he has the ability to knock Murray off the court. He's done it before. 
Well, he has an, the ability to knock anybody off the court. I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? At his best, he's <laughs> pretty much the favourite for this title. Um, I mean, it's it's almost... He makes our job impossible, Vivrenko, because it's impossible, really, to speculate about him. I mean, even last... I mean, yes, he's had a pretty woeful clay court season this year, barring Geneva. He's pulling it out of the bag at the very last moment. Um, but actually... He had a not great clay court season last year. I know he had the run in Rome, but I remember vividly in Monte Carlo watching him against Grigor Dimitrov in, I think, the quarterfinals. In fact, no, I think the, the third round in uh, in Monte Carlo. And he, w- I cannot describe how bad he was. You can go back through the archive, and I'm, I think I remember talking to you about it on, on the podcast, David, or talking about it on the podcast last week. He was horrendous i mean it was sort of like is is a top level tennis player really playing this badly um and there were a couple of other performances uh in the clay court season that, that didn't meet those lows but they certainly didn't give any indication that this was a player that was going to go on to win the french open so i, I really um i i almost think it's meaningless and the fact that he's had this run in Geneva this week does suggest that maybe he's he's timed it perfectly again and for me he really is a contender I mean he's also a contender to lose really early in spectacularly um well in spectacular fashion but he also was very much a contender for for the title again right then Catherine so it sounds to me as though we're both Basically, you've got the same semi-final lineup. We've got Djokovic and Nadal. We've got Vavrinka Murray. Who's going to be in the final? Who's going to win it? Uh, Djokovic Murray final. I'm so original, aren't I? Djokovic Murray final. Um, I've got Djokovic winning it. Uh, there is, there is a part of me, quite a strong part, deep in my gut that is actually saying Murray. I do have quite a strong feeling for Murray, but because of how bad I am in, in in predictions and because of my track record of being unable to distinguish rational <laughs> rational logic uh, from, you know, head over heart, all of that stuff, I'm going with... I'm going with reason and, and y- you just can't not predict Novak Djokovic to win something, anything, at the moment. So uh, I'm... Playing it a little bit safe on this one, but I do think in that final that I feel strongly will happen, Murray will have a chance. I just think Djokovic is the favourite. Well, he would certainly have a chance. I, I think we're probably going to get that final as well. I still, you know, I, I don't say it with a massive degree of conviction because I think the two guys that could end up facing those two in Nadal and Vavrinka, they could turn that script on its head depending on what sort of form they're in. Um, but I'd go with Djokovic against Murray. I think Djokovic will win the title this year. I've said that for the last couple of weeks. That's that's how I think things are going to unfold. Uh, the women's draw, we now have uh, Serena Williams at the very top of it. And we have Catherine, her, uh, Serena, in the same quarter as Victoria Azarenka, which is, uh, <laughs> is, is rough on both of them, really, isn't it? Brilliant for the rest of the draw, though. I mean, they would all have been rubbing their hands together. The rest of the draw just became even more open. There were two players, I think, that were nailed on as strong favourites and everybody else was had some form of question mark over them. I mean, yes, there's some question mark with Victoria Azarenka's health. 
But apart from that, I think this is the most wonderful news for every other person uh, in the draw, apart from people that they're each scheduled to meet before that quarterfinal meeting. Uh, Yeah, I mean, it's going to be explosive if it happens. Um, I think hearing Azarenka impressed today, she wasn't playing down expectations, but she certainly wasn't playing them up either. I do think whether in reality or just in her mind uh, the the back injury is is it's definitely still there it's still a still a presence for her azarenka um uh, but yeah it's it's certainly going to make it exciting and it's made an open it, it's it, it's weird it's it's in some ways made it less open because you just think well whoever wins that match is surely going to come come on and win the tournament but then it just leaves the other three quarters of the draw so open even more open than it was before it's it's this yeah it's it's well particularly Catherine the the bottom half of the draw because I mean all the big names the really big names the majority of them anyway feel as if they're in that top half of the draw because you've got Williams and Azarenka as a, as a quarter final most likely or at least on paper anyway you've then got Kerber in the other quarter in that top section of the draw you've got Venus Williams in there you've got Madison Keys who's the informed player in that section on the other half you've got players that are really struggling for form like Roberta Vinci who's, who's had such a tough time. Petra Kvitova hasn't been feeling too well. Muguruza, I think, uh, and Halep are the players that I see coming through and actually meeting ultimately in in the semis, I think, in that bottom half of the draw. What do you think? I think so too. Um, I've got Halep in the the final. I think think this is... Today's gone well for her. The draw has gone very well for her. But then, you know, we know she doesn't necessarily deal with pressure brilliantly or she's at least you know it's been a journey for her coming to terms with pressure so you know that could that could work either way um I would also mention Kuznetsova in that portion of the draw I mean it is it is laid out really well for her she's up back inside the top 15 she's playing really good tennis I'll tell you what nobody wants to meet Svetlana Kuznetsova um and I would uh, yeah alongside those two names Muguruza and Halep I would put Kuznetsova in that bracket as well as a as a certain certainly a potential semi finalist for sure. It's going to be fascinating. It is going to be fascinating. I'm going to go Muguruza against Serena Williams in the final. It's the first time chance I've had to really look at the draw uh, and just seeing it now. That's that's what stands out for me. I think Muguruza on her day is the closest thing to Serena Williams in terms of power on a on a clay court. So that's what I'm going for, uh, and ultimately Serena to win the title. Who's winning it, Catherine? Oh, I've gone for Serena. I've played it so safe against against all of my better instincts to be a foolish predictor. Um, I just think in a time of such uncertainty in women's tennis, there is only really one certainty or one close to certainty or one person you can never count out, and that's Serena Williams. And that's sort of the, the strongest thing you have to go on. So Serena Williams. Okay. Um Catherine, just just before we we sign off uh, for this preview edition, the the tournament starts on Sunday. Now, 
I, I ran one of my favourite polls on tennis podcasts. I, I've been writing polls every five minutes the last few days. You're probably best off staying away from the tennis podcast Twitter account at the moment, Catherine, because I know this just uh, drives you up the wall. But anyway, here's one that I'm going to tell you about, uh, which is should tournaments Grand Slam start on a Sunday or a Monday? Because really the French Open is the only one that does the Sunday. Well, what do you think? I, I absolutely see all the logic um, it's an extra day of, you know, weekend you know, spectators, weekend TV, et cetera, et cetera. I just feel like Monday's the start of the week. Let's start on a Monday. Uh, and I know that's not a particularly coherent argument. It just feels a little bit wrong. And uh, that's all I've got. Just it feeling a little bit wrong. Um I know that's not the strongest argument in the world, but if I if I was president of the universe, I would probably have a Monday start. But in full recognition of all of the all of the positives that come with a Sunday start, I don't, in short, I don't feel quite strongly about it enough to to get on any kind of high horse. But if I were in charge, I'd probably make it a Monday start. I would go Monday as well. Our tennis podcast listeners have gone 54% from Monday start, 46 for a, a Sunday. I, I'm a bit of a traditionalist. I, I, I do wonder what else you'd do if you were the uh, the master of the universe. Uh, but anyway, we'll, we'll get on to Quiches. that in a separate tennis podcast in Quiches the future. for everyone. Uh, yeah, so that'll be a, a tennis podcast for the future. Catherine Whittaker, uh, master of the universe. Anyway... We mentioned Magnus Norman at the outset of this edition of the show, uh, a man that we spoke to earlier on in the year about how you beat Novak Djokovic in a Grand Slam tournament. It's happened so rarely, but there last year, when Djokovic was on the brink of greatness, of, I mean, he's already great, isn't he? But the immortality, really, of completing that career slam and winning the French Open last year, out came Stan Wawrinka to produce the most pitch-perfect display of tennis, power-hitting, that you've ever seen in your life. And he knocked Djokovic off the court. He, he was powerless, was Djokovic, that day. And I wanted to know from Magnus Norman how you do it. Uh, well, he played aggressive. Uh, he came out with a very clear strategy in, in Paris in the final uh, to be very aggressive on the serve, uh, on the returns, especially on the second serve of, of Novak. Uh, you know, you have to risk it a little bit, I think. Um, you know, you got to find this thin line between not overplaying and, and, and being aggressive and try to find this, this good balance. So there's Magnus Norman talking to us here, and we only have one more thing to say. The French Open is around the corner. It starts on Sunday. You'll be able to follow it throughout the fortnight. And Catherine and I will be bringing you tennis podcasts when we can. We're not exactly sure when we'll have to see. But it will be in association with The Telegraph. We'll be trying to hear from Simon Briggs, The Telegraph's tennis correspondent, over the course of the fortnight as well. Do check out The Telegraph website because there's so much uh, to follow there with the great articles of Simon and Charlie Eccleshare as well. There's been some really good ones. One was... Uh, that I read earlier on today was uh, why it is impossible uh, to not love Andy Murray and uh, it's well worth a read that one do stick with us as well we're going to be bringing you tennis podcasts whenever we can and do enjoy the French Open